Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life, the podcast. And it is a good life. And uh, we had a good podcast the other day. We did an interview with Dr. Lawrence Yoon, and I also shared my bold predictions for the year that's coming up. For those of you who are kind of new to us, uh, we've been doing this a long time. We've done 15 of these bold prediction shows, made 37 predictions. And in the last 15 years, 36 of the 37 I have come about. So a lot of research, a lot of data. We've been really able to help people win and navigate the marketplace. So we're going to do a follow-up today because there's just some nuance, right? All this information, a text without a context is a pretext. And I can't get to it all. So there was a few things with meat on the bone I wanted to try to address today. Mr. Lally is not with us today. He's on the disabled list, as they say in football. He's feeling a little poorly. So Danny Iverson is going to take it home today. Danny, a lot of pressure. You're in the hot seat. You're filling Mr. Lally's role. God bless you. I hope you're up for it. Let's uh, let's do our follow-up here today. Just like my dad says, no pressure, but everyone's counting on you. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So to start off, um, I just wanted to loop back to the previous episode where you said that you talk about uh, employment, inflation, and the stock market. So why is employment uh, such an important factor for forecasting the market? Yeah, well, one of the most, if not the most important stats that markets need to know is the gross domestic product. This means collectively how productive are we as a nation. And it's just very important. I mean, America is a very productive place. Its citizens are very productive. And I've been all over the world. I've been to places where people aren't as productive. I remember speaking in Greece, and the Greeks were having riots on the streets and this and that and the other, and they wanted all the benefits of Germany but their per-person production was half of the Germans. The productivity wasn't there. Employment is key because it indicates gross domestic product. And so that's why all the data and all the forecasting revolves around employment. Yeah, I mean, it it seems like we're in an interesting spot here. Like we we have so many open jobs right now, um, but not enough people to fill them. Why, Why is that? It's bizarre. And I'll be candid with you, since COVID and basically since the kind of the end of the lockdowns, nobody's had good answers for this. And we've done research and we've looked at things and we had um, Mr. Eberstadt on, which was a great podcast. And he's, you know, made it his life's work to search for why people are working and why they're not working. I just think it's been extremely complex. So let me kind of give my Reader's Digest version of because I've really been looking at this. Because for my own sake, my own company, and then to be an advocate for entrepreneurs, I know I really need to know this. So I'll give you a couple of things here, Dan. There's two different data points that are quoted. And again, a lot of this might sound very economist-driven, but it's, it's real practical stuff. You have the unemployment rate, which is how many people technically are filing for unemployment, taking money from the government, who are not in the workforce. And then you have the participation rate is what percentage of the actual population gets up and goes to work every day or gets up and stays at home and goes to work every day. What you'll see is, and what, again, politicians and news media outlets that align with those politicians package things the way they want to. And that's why it's so hard to get truth anymore or perspective or whatever. So let me try to cut through that as best I can. 
The unemployment rate is the best it's been in 50 years. 3.7%. So only 3.7% of the working population is getting unemployment checks. And that sounds amazing, right? It does sound amazing. <laughs> and by the way, people will, so like conservatives will go, ah, people are being paid to stay home. And we're just giving people money in the COVID cash and they're being paid money to sit on the couch and do nothing. Well, that happened during all the bonus cash for COVID. What the heck happened when the bonus cash went away? That's no longer true. And so people will thump their chest, oh, you know, because of our policies, unemployment's the lowest it's been in 50 years. Great. The other stat that's important is the participation rate. Labor participation rate is 62.2%. I'm holding in my hot little hand, I showed this to you before, called the FRED, F-R-E-D, FRED, Labor Force Participation Rate. It's well worth taking a look at. It's kind of a fun thing. Little graph, you can move the mouse on and you can see where it is year to year. And basically, this shows you how many people have an ability to work are actually working. The labor participation rate is the lowest it's been in 45 years. So not since 1977. So the unemployment rate hasn't been this low since 1972. But the labor participation rate is the lowest since 1977. And for me, that's a far bigger statistic. And far more telling, because that impacts gross domestic product. Obviously, if people are not part of the workforce, they're not being productive. So their work, not being productive in regards to general labor. They might be productive playing golf. They might be productive volunteering. They might be doing charity work. They might be growing roses. They might be painting, whatever. But they're not a part of the GDP. Right. And what would, what would you say is a, a healthy uh, labor participation rate? Well, you'd certainly like to see it five points heavier than that. Prior to the pandemic, participation rate was around 65%. And that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it is quite a bit. And so during a pandemic, three things happened. People, first of all, when the supply shortages hit, there was a huge boom to the economy. So trillions and trillions of dollars. And a trillion... A billion dollars is a thousand million. Like people forget that all the time. We talk about billions like it's nothing anymore. A billion is a thousand million. And a trillion is a thousand billion. And they throw these numbers around like it's no big deal anymore. It's just giant. It's giant. It's no big deal because it's piling onto the debt or printing more money. So what happened was there was a ton of money put in the system. And then that ton of money also turned into appreciation in assets like stock, real estate, and cash. So what happened was people who were maybe thinking of retiring in five or seven or 10 years, all of a sudden they had the social anxiety of being cooped up in their area, in their house. They had areas that were less expensive. For example, people in New York are cooped up in their apartments, but their real estate holdings and their stock holdings are worth a bunch. They also were given cash and now they have cash. Maybe they got a PPP loan for their business. And then Florida's wide open for business. Come and live. Come to Disney World. And by the way, you can buy a nice house for a third of the cost of your apartment in New York. Your stocks are high and you have more cash. And with the social anxiety of what went on during COVID, they're like, okay, I'm ready for something new. So people moved out of town, out of state, and out of the workforce. So Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, he said two-thirds of the working shortfall is from people who basically took early retirement. And by the way, those people aren't coming back. So that's a huge deal. Now, there was also people who got sick. There was increased death rates. 
And then there's people who become socially anxious around work. Some older people, for sure, concerned about COVID. My biggest pain point is I've heard young people who might have been in college or high school who've developed social anxiety over being locked up in COVID and that can't get out of the house and don't want to leave the house and are really in a bad state. This is unusual. Some of the stuff we're trying to do, and I know we're going to talk about inflation and all that kind of stuff. Some of the stuff is we're going to use 30, 40, 50 year old strategies. There's a uniqueness to this that never happened before. Even, okay, we had a big Spanish flu in 1918. We didn't have the market. We didn't have the business. We didn't have the labor rate. We didn't have work from home. You know, in 1918, when the Spanish flu hit, the average American hadn't traveled more than seven miles from their home. So they weren't thinking about moving out of Florida or Tennessee or Texas or Idaho or Vegas or Arizona and leaving their state, you know? So it's been a very unique thing. There's a lot of reasons for it. But the bottom line is, as we look at the things going forward, we have a low participation rate in employment, which isn't a drag on the future GDP. Don't want to be total Debbie Downer here. It's just important to know it. Okay. Now, by the way, America is still a stronger economy than anywhere else in the world. The opportunities are bigger than anywhere else in the world. It's just not quite what it was. So it's still the best. It's just not as good as the best as it used to be. That's all. You'd mentioned in the past, though, there's one thing that scares the legendary investor Warren Buffett, and that's inflation. Mm-hmm. So why is that? So inflation is a hole in the bucket. You've heard me sing the little nursery rhyme, and you've heard me tell the stories about like a casino, right? A casino has a 3% odds in its favor, but it's a 3% hole in the bucket. And if you stay there long enough, if you have a 3% hole in the bucket, eventually 100% of the water will be out of the bucket. And so in the bold predictions, I, you know, it's funny, some of the staff came up to me and said, I never understood inflation until you did that little graph where a million dollars, you know, turns into 915,000 and then turns into 837,000. And if take it down to 500,000, take it down to 100,000. And you see how right in front of your eyes, you know, 100 grand becomes 83 grand. Like that is meaningful to people. So inflation is a big bad wolf. It is. And worldwide it is. The most dramatic part of inflation and why we need to get a handle on it, like World War I left the country of Germany completely responsible for World War I. And that led to three, four, five hundred 500% inflation. And that just devastated the German people, devastated the economy, and led to the uprising of what became the Nazi party. I've been to countries that have totally been destabilized because of inflation. And it gets into the 100 percentile. Now, we're a long way away from that. And by the way, we're already starting to see in Europe the inflation tick down. We had one good month here in America. The last number came down one month. But inflation is a bad deal. It empties net worth. It empties asset. It makes earnings less valuable. It makes everything more expensive. And it really, really, really hurts the bottom third of the economy, people most exposed. It's a dangerous thing. Definitely. Yeah. And you, we did two podcasts on this already, uh, Inflation and You. It's uh, season two, episode 23 and 24, if you want to check that out. Um, now, this is follow-up to your bold predictions. So I got to ask you, what do you think is going to happen with inflation? So, okay, no horse in the race here. I can just be as brutally honest as I need to be. So the Fed is trying to get their arms around inflation. And the Fed is only capable of so much. If the government decides to spend money, and I, when I say the government, Obviously, you have the White House is in charge of a lot of things, but you have Congress, and there's a lot of addiction to spending on both parties. There isn't any fiscal conservatism anymore. 
And if they cut spending, reduced taxes, and reduced all the regulations, uh, the economy would explode. But here is the dynamic. The Fed's core inflation rate. So let me kind of give you an example. Core inflation rate is they take the inflation rate, they take out food and energy prices. Now, one of the reasons for that is they're the most volatile. So they, they do inflation rate, and then they do a core inflation rate, not to create a false impression, but just to create a stable understanding of inflation. So core inflation this time last year was 6%. They've raised the rate six times. Now, we predicted that last year's ball prediction. Now, I didn't predict four or five of them being 75 basis points, but I thought they'd get to 3% for sure. They went to 3.75%, which is a boatload in the space of nine months. The core inflation rate's still 6%. Now, there are signs of life and there are some changes happening. People's savings are running out. We're seeing the beginnings of layoffs and things like that. And so if you want to know, the stated policy of the Fed is to raise the unemployment rate. I know that sounds kind of terrible, but it's the number one way they know how to handle it. Now, they're right, but also I just mentioned this really strange set of circumstances we have past COVID. The truth of the matter is, if it was just economics and there weren't people and pain, you would have to raise rates beyond the inflation rate. So a borrower would need to pay 9%, which would, like credit cards would go to 25 to 30. Uh, Car loans would go to... 12 to 15. Mortgages go to nine. Now, if you do that, you know, the, the Fed has been trying to talk about a soft landing. And if you did that, you would cure inflation, but it's like, the, you know, the surgery might kill the patient. But that's kind of what it needs. Like numerically, that's what it needs. So what does it mean is there's still going to be some excess spending going on with government. The Fed can't control that. They've raised rates as fast as they can. And it's kind of stopped things, but it hasn't really reduced it yet. Again, one month, good numbers. We'll see what happens over the Christmas season. I basically, my guess is this. I think inflation is going to be around. I think mid-year next year, the Fed will stop raising rates. And then I think the third quarter, I think you'll see rates start to come down. I think you'll start to see inflation pop down. We are seeing companies lay off. I mean, started in real estate and tech. A lot of companies laying off a lot of people. So that's coming. That's here. We got strange stuff going on with immigration and what we're doing and the border and all that stuff. The problem is, is a lot of the people who are either coming here, they don't have the techniques, the skills to be able to fulfill a lot of the open jobs. So we have open jobs, you have candidates that are not a fit for those jobs, and you have the companies that were high flying, tech, even real estate, those are really getting hurt right now. So that's kind of where we're at. I promise you there's a happy ending at the end of all of this, but it's just important to know it. Inflation is, it is flattening out now. So let, let, me, let me take you to the end of the movie, okay? Let me take you out of the dirty sewer pipe into Sewantaneo, right? Everybody on our podcast talks about uh, Shawshank Redemption. So here's what the Fed's goal is. The Fed's goal is 2% inflation. And then the Fed's goal for rate is 2%. And, and why is that? What's the, what's the benefit of that? Uh, well, First of all, 0% means the government treasuries, they're loaning out money at zero interest rates. It's not good for the country. It's also not good for long-term investors, people who buy bonds, people who are on fixed incomes. They all get affected by that. So a 2% inflation rate, very acceptable. And one of the reasons it's acceptable is that it's pretty easy to get the economy to grow past 2%. And that's, that's really the correlation. I know we're going to end up there. 
Growth is the key to inflation. You've got to grow faster than inflation. So a 3% growth rate for the economy is very doable. 4% is actually magical. Like 4%, the difference between 3% and 4% for the economy is staggering amounts of money. If they can get to a 2% inflation rate, which I think they will by mid-2024, now tune in for next year's bull predictions, but I'm kind of giving it to you ahead of time. I think they can get there the end of 2024 anyway. And I believe we'll be at Fed rates of about 2% back then too. And that's providing there's no more bloody wars and all that stuff. So what does that mean? A 2% Fed rate means a mortgage rate of 4%. So why is that important? Well, on bold predictions, I told people to buy and then refi. Like that's the advice to give your clients. And that's my advice to a consumer. And, you know, you need to suck it up for probably 18 months or so on and so forth, but you're probably going to see rates in the fours by the end of 2024. So that has a little tag to it, doesn't it? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a slogan. But I think that's what they're gunning for. That's what they're looking for. 2% inflation, very manageable. 2% Fed rate gets you to 4% mortgage rates, very manageable. That's easy living, to be honest with you. That's great. So you, you touched on it briefly, but what is the ultimate antidote for inflation? Yeah. And it's one word. It's growth. Growth is the key. And I mentioned it on the podcast, as you know, shortly after I did a training for all our coaches. And again, a lot of our coaches had the same question and it's growth. And you have to grow your business beyond the rate of inflation. So for example, our goal for Buffini Company next year, while companies are laying people off and doing this and doing that, our growth projection is 15%. Now, that sounds pretty good. And it's gonna, you, you got to get really focused to do that. But if the inflation rate's going to be 7 to 8, and you got to pay some taxes and things like that, you better be on 10%. So if you're going into this next calendar year, you better set your goals at 10% growth and beyond. And, you know, 10% on the bottom line. There's three ways to get there, right? There's only three ways to do it. You raise your prices, you increase your sales, and you cut expenses. So when you do a combination of three, it gets to be pretty easy. So let's say I'm going to increase sales by 5%. I'm going to raise my prices by 2% and cut my expenses by 2%. I'm kind of there. Very important. You can't cut your way to growth. And a lot of people do that. So, oh, you know, I'll say, oh, somebody said, I'm, I'm not going to do coaching next year. Or, or I'm even worse. I'm going to cut back on my marketing expenses next year. I go, oh, geez. Like, that's like the worst. And we have a little process we go through a Pavini company called Do It or Dump It, which is what are the things we do? Why do we do them? And, and we're a 27-year-old business, so we have things that we do. Well, we did it because we always did it. Or no, Brian says he has to have it this way. Well, I said that 10 years ago. Do it or dump it. Sometimes you just got to dump stuff. It's like, why do we do that anymore? And that's not that efficient anymore. And so sometimes people find their identity in that job, and you got to move that along. But uh, raise prices, increase sales, cut expenses. Get to 10% minimum. My goal is 15% for 2023. We're going to outgrow inflation. Buffini Company's not laying off staff. We plan on hiring staff next year. We plan on our clients that we coach beating their goals next year. And uh, there's, there's just a way to do it. Get back to the fundamentals, execute, and uh, swim against the tide that you're going to win. That's awesome. That's awesome. So with growth often comes a little bit of cash. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about the stock market. Where do you see that going? It, it seems to be relatively strong, even amidst the negative news that we've been seeing. What, what do you see there? So the stock market, again, it is somewhat speculative. It's always six to nine months ahead. The stock market will respond 
okay, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine. Boom. Okay, that happened. There's a problem. But for the most part, the stock market, they're always looking ahead. So you can tell that the stock market has kind of factored in the rates, Jerome Powell, the economy, the government. They've kind of factored things in and they think things are pretty good. Now, I will also tell you that, you know, and again, you and I talk, you're a you're a young man who's done very, very well for himself. You've invested in real estate and done a great job for your family. When we talk stocks, I always let you know it is speculative. And it seems like FOMO, fear of missing out, drives the stock market. Now, one of the reasons for this, and I'm going to do a, a series of podcasts on how I invest, but it shows that if you miss the pullback days, you know, the growth days in the stock market, you miss out on a lot. And millennials especially, they have a tendency to take their money all out and put their money all back in and have this kind of gambling mentality. So the market hates to miss out on the days when the market recovers. So if you're thinking about stocks, here's what I'm going to say. And here's, here's, here's what I'm doing, Dan. I think the stock market's looking six to nine months ahead. I think it's a tad overinflated right now uh, based on earnings and based on what's coming. I think there will be days where there's pullbacks and days when it recaptures value. So what I have is I have stocks I already believe in, companies I already believe in, research I've already done, and I have orders placed that when that stock hits this price, just buy. And it's already set up and it's automatically. And if it happens at 6.35 on New York time and, you know, when I'm sleeping or whatever, I'm buying that stock. So I have positions already in that. You know, obviously the stocks that were high flying, the real aggressive tech stocks, that are trading at 60 times earnings, those are the ones that got hit the hardest and probably should have. Stocks that were more speculative, stocks that are involved in companies that have the cutbacks, like the real estate companies got savaged. I mean, and now what's happened is people are actually buying them because they're so low. But um, I would say this, know what you believe in, know why you believe in it. There will be pullbacks in this next year. I mean, I don't see the stock market running away to 40,000. I just don't. But I think what you'll have is it'll pull back, go back up, go pull back, back up, pull back, back up. And then they'll be six to nine months ahead of next year. So they'll be where they think they should be in 2024, which, which by the way, you know, 2024 is looking to be a pretty good year. Rates will be starting to creep back down. And I think you'll see that the stock market will reflect that. So I would say, you know, this is a good year to, to put some money in the market. To get in. Yeah, I found that stat that you were talking about. So if you missed the market's uh, 10 best days over the past 30 years, your returns would have been cut in half. And missing the best 30 days would have reduced your returns 83%. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, just, the key is to stay in. Yeah, just stay you in. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, I never lose money because I don't sell. Right, right, because you still have the stock. Yeah, now, unless you got crypto, <laughs> or unless you're uh, hanging out with old FTX and those boys. But if you invest in something of permanent value yeah. and it has good fundamentals, you hold it, you don't lose. So yeah, it's kind of like the, the 401k, yep. right? You just set it and forget it and let it yep. go. Um, but is there, what, is, what does the future look like there? Is there anything else that you have to add to that? Well, again, I know you have 401k, right? And I, yep. I would just say, you know, you get a chance there to do a little review once in a while. And, you know, what I do in my list of accounts is I'm examining the poor performers. And, you know, Jack Welch used to say, you know, he would analyze the bottom 10% of his workforce every year. Well, I analyze the bottom 10% of my stocks. I kind of do it mid-year. I'll do it twice a year. And sometimes there's a tax benefit to it. And, oh, I'm going to take that. And that's a loss. 
And what am I going to do? Buy more of what I believe in. Sure. So I like set it and forget it, but I don't believe in abdication either. So look at the bottom 10%, what's performing, what's not, and away you go. You know, you've done well in the real estate side, you know, keep doubling down. You know, okay, I have a bit of money saved. I can build on that ADU unit in the back. Go for it. Rents are going to continue to increase at a significant rate. So in fact, uh, Powell recommends 7.1% increase in rents. So again, double down on what you believe in, continue to go. Next year is going to be solid. The last few years have been crazy and we get used to crazy. We build our lifestyle around crazy. And even though we knew it was hectic and burning us out, when it changes, people get fearful. And to me, like I'm looking forward to next year. I think next year is going to be a real solid year. There'll be some competition disappearing. There'll be some people, there'll be some businesses that close, which isn't great. But it's only the strong survive. So I think you got to grow. I think you got to grow yourself. I think you got to grow your business to beat inflation. I think you got to understand that the stock market and the market itself is going to go through a lot of different changes. And that employment is going to continue to be a funky deal. But the one employment that you can take control of is your own. That's still the good news. The still good news is you're still the captain of your own ship. You're still uh, in control of a lot of things you can control. I can't control what the Fed does. I can't control what the administrations do. I can't control what central banks do. But I can control what I do. Attitude, effort, energy. So anyway, maybe that fills in a bit of the gaps that we didn't get to with bold predictions. I think between the two broadcasts, people are well set up to win next year. I think so. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. And uh, to all of you, I hope these bold predictions are valuable. Share them with your friends. Uh, You can go to apple.com and go and see uh, where we have the podcast there and click on there. You can get the banners. You'll see it posted where you can get our episodes a little bit early. You can get rid of any of the ads. I think it's five bucks a month. That's not even a good cup of coffee. Uh, So for a cup of coffee, you get no ads and you can go through that. So that, that I don't care if you listen to ads or not. So if you don't want them, you can do it. We are here to help you in your business and in your life. We want you to have the good life. One of those things about the good life is to not be stressing. There's a lot of misinformation, for sure. And even that phrase has become conscripted. But there's just articles that come out and say, the real estate's going to go in the tank. Rates are going to go do this. This is capitulation. And uh, I will just say to you, it's not that scary to be aware of it. We've given you as strong a stance as we can on the murkiness that's out there. But ultimately, you can do well. Grow yourself. Grow your business. Take care of your family. Live the good life. That's what we're all about. If you need a, a, a little help on that, go and get one of those free business consultations and go check out the itsagoodlife.com brand new website where I'm just delighted that we've organized a number of the episodes into categories. So if you have a long drive somewhere or a trip or you're working out and you want to cut out all the negative stuff, you want to just listen to some personal growth stuff, we have those categorized for you. If you want to listen to the money stuff, you can listen to that. You want to listen to just the business stuff. We have different categories for you with a few episodes in there so that you can listen, get it kind of immersed in the good stuff. So hopefully that helps you enjoy the new website. And uh, thanks for joining today. And we're going to send you off the way we always do with a little Irish blessing from Miss Good Life herself, Therese Buffini. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.